Welcome, conversations that highlight fascinating ways people are impacting the lives of those who are vulnerable. Impact Conversations with Don Mansky. This Impact Conversation is brought to you by Made for Freedom, the social enterprise with products made by survivors of human trafficking and marginalization. Made for Freedom is fighting human trafficking with style. Welcome to Impact Conversations. This is a place that we meet some amazing people that are doing fascinating things to help empower marginalized populations, alleviate poverty, prevent human trafficking, and come alongside some of the most vulnerable people in our world. I'm Dawn Mansky, and our conversation today is with Olivia Watkins. Olivia is the executive director of Beauty for Ashes Nepal, and today she's going to share with us a bit about their work. Olivia, welcome. Thank you. It's great to connect with everyone today. Well, glad you could make it and joining us from Nepal, right? Yes, right from Nepal. (laughs) Nice. Very nice. So share with us a little bit about how you ended up with this passion and your current position. Yeah, I'd love to share. So I went on a short-term trip just overseas Uh, to a small area in South America where I really was face-to-face with some of these marginalized groups for the first time. And it just rocked my world. I think it popped my bubble, as you might say, and it just changed my heart where I just wanted to be um, amongst those people. And I think I realized the amount of privilege I lived in and just all the good gifts that God has given me. And I wanted to take what I'd been given and use it to bless other people. And so that passion started when I was 16, and I did a little bit more before I went to university. And then once I went to university, I was really focused on getting my degree and really hoping that once I got through that season, my next step would be to go back overseas and to help those types of people groups. I found myself uh, ending college and not seeing the right doors opening up, and I was frustrated. And I ended up working for a small party supply company and learning a lot just from being in that business. And I had a friend one day who just, he looked at me and he's like, Olivia, do you still feel called to go and do this thing? And I was like, yes, but there are no open doors. There's no opportunities. I don't see a way to do this. And he was like, well, if you feel called, you just need to go. Oh, wow. (laughs) So easy for him to say, yeah. I was really frustrated in that moment. But it was the thing I needed to hear. So I actually ended up just getting on a plane. I had connected with a girl working in another country in Asia. And I was like, I'm just going to get on a plane. I'm going to go meet with her. I'll see what they're doing. And maybe the Lord will just fling open the right door. And uh, Nepal had a major earthquake in 2015. And I had Mm -hmm. known one girl who had been over here in that time. And so on and off, I thought about Nepal. I thought about coming. And as I was planning my trip, I thought, you know, I really think I should just go to Nepal while I'm in this process and see if anything happens just by being there and meeting with people. And so along the journey and as I was planning, I had a friend who had a friend of a friend who lived in Nepal and she connected us. So I landed in Nepal. I didn't have like a great plan put together. I was just trusting and taking the next step. And through those connections, I walked into Beauty for Ashes in Nepal. It was already started. It was already an organization. And 
I shared my heart with them and it was just one of those like fast connections. I shared what I was already doing in marketing and merchandising and they saw how I could use the gifts I had to come on board with them. So I came on board actually kind of doing work in different areas in the business, marketing, merchandising, um, and a lot of working on different design areas in the business. And it was actually a surprise when I transitioned into the executive director role. But I'm super, super thankful to be here. <laughs> that is quite a jump, huh? Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's, that's <laughs> awesome, though. Well, and explain to us a little bit why, why is it so important for, the, for women to have a job after they've been exploited? Yeah. I think one of the best ways to explain it is actually to go back to our foundations as a company and say that there was a woman named Ellen who was volunteering here in what we would call a transition home, which is a home for women coming out of trafficking situations, um, out of exploitation. And in the home, it's supposed to be a safe place to recover, to regain life skills, to get counseling, to kind of come back from that trauma and to reorient yourself just to getting back to normal life. Um, coming out of that trauma. And so she was in these transition homes and she was working with these different women and she saw an issue where they'd go through the six month or the one year program and there wouldn't be opportunities afterward. And they'd struggle to get new jobs. They struggled to figure out how to do life outside of those transition homes. And she just felt uh, there was a very strong need there. There's also a very high percentage of people who end up re-trafficked because of that vulnerability in that transition. And so we wanted to create a place for long-term employment where they could come out of those transition homes and have a safe position where mm -hmm. they could settle into a life where they're independent. All of our employees are able to live on their own, rent their own apartments. They have their own kids and they're taking care of them. And it's amazing to watch the process of them transitioning into that where they're just really, you know, kind of owning their own life and doing a great job of, of standing on their own two feet. Right. Well, and so the transition homes, is this, are these survivors of human trafficking exclusively, or is it survivors of trafficking and other marginalized groups? Um, most of the time, at least the ones we work with, they're survivors of human trafficking exclusively. And it's, you know, it can be, we worked with a couple different types. Most of it is uh, sexual exploitation, but also we've worked with some groups that work with women who have been trafficked for other types of work, um, mm. for even like mining work where they're just not paid and right. they can't, and they, the employers kind of make them feel trapped. So in Nepal, there's quite a big group of people that will go and be migrant workers and in those situations, sometimes they'll take their passports and they'll put them in, in a job they promised a big salary for and then end up giving them no salary. So for us, mostly it's the first type of transition home, but often that is also an issue in Nepal. So we try and address it when we can as well. That's, that's wonderful. You know, I actually was in Nepal about two months before that earthquake that you're talking about. Wow. And I went and visited a couple centers that are working with sex trafficking survivors. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's just, there were so many things that I learned. Nepal is, at least at that time, I'm pretty sure it was the poorest country in the Eastern Hemisphere, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I talked to people about 
Nepal has, you know, some of the greatest vulnerabilities like devaluation of the girl child. Yeah. And, and they've got this extreme poverty. So some of the, the vulnerabilities that I talk about most often, Nepal has these at, at a great extent that, you know, that make, make the women vulnerable, but also like these open borders with India and India has these massive red light districts. So I just, Nepal is such, such a beautiful place. And there are so many amazing things that are possible there, but um, there is such, there's such poverty and, and so much depravity in some ways, but yeah. It's, it's it's great that you guys are doing that. So, what are some of the what do you what would you say are some of the greatest benefits to the women once they move out of that transitional home and they are employed? I think just even watching them regain their confidence is such a big part of it for me. I've now experienced having some women come in from the beginning and even seeing what happens over the course of a year of them working and living independently and, you know, just kind of taking care of their life and managing themselves. And you go often from this shy woman who's not sure if she can, you know, fit in with the group or join the community to someone who's really engaged in having conversations and they have relationships and community. Even I think, three weeks ago, I was sitting with the women and I was like, you know, we want you to be proud to work here. And we want you to feel like this is a place you want to talk about because you feel really good about the work you're doing. And I was like, are we doing that? And do you, you know, do you feel that in this group? And I was in awe because what they did was that it almost, they all, all started crying. And I was like, wait, 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 why are we crying? And they started to share how they were proud to work there. But one of the main reasons was because they had sisters and they Mm -hmm. had a family and it was the community they had developed together that actually was meaningful to them and meant a lot. And so they're proud that they learned new skills that they didn't think they could. They're proud that they can manage their own finances and take care of their kids And that develops a lot of amazing confidence in them to just stand on their own two feet. And I think that in itself prevents exploitation because they know their worth, Mm -hmm. but it's also this value they have for one another that I think has created um, that belonging, that love that we all need. And when that need is met, I feel like it even adds to that confidence and and gives them more joy and a, a desire to thrive and go after life and say no when things aren't making them comfortable. Oh, that's incredible. That's, that's really awesome. And I, you know, and I've heard so often that um, even just working with your hands is therapeutic. Yeah. And and I know that when I get into something, if I've, if I'm trying to deal, work through something in my head, just working with my hands, it is, it's just so helpful. But that whole community thing, what an amazing benefit, what amazing part of the whole thing. So the, um, obviously the only reason this issue exists is because there's demand. Mm -hmm. Um, so are you guys, are you guys doing anything to help prevent this from happening or what are you guys, what do you got? How are you guys involved in that? Yeah, I think for us in Nepal, you talked about the poverty here. Mm -hmm. There's a very high poverty rate. And even now you, with COVID going on, 
and I know the whole world is still struggling and in different stages with it, but we keep going into these reoccurring lockdowns. So mm. we spent 98 days where you weren't supposed to leave your home except for food, period. Oh, no unessential businesses. Yeah. And then last night they just recalled for another lockdown and it, there's so many day laborers. There's a huge population of people who can only work one day. We have another office in another region in Nepal where it's all a substance farming. That's how they live. And so they're not out there with businesses. There's no businesses. There's not a job. You depend on your crops to make it every year. And when they don't make it and somebody comes through and says, hey, if you give me your daughter, I'll give you this much money and your family will be okay this year that creates an issue as well. And so as we've looked at that issue and just our heart to cover both sides of the spectrum to help women coming back and to help women who are at risk, we decided to put an office in one of those remote regions in one of the highest traffic districts in Nepal. And so we, we it's maybe a little bit crazy, we <laughs> office up on the top of a mountain where you have to drive six hours and then hike two hours to get there but we're no working. way yes way <laughs> <laughs> and so it's yeah it's interesting it's unique but it's been a beautiful journey it's been up there for over two years now and we have these young girls come in we look at the region and we look at families who have you know the most amount in the family who have the least education who have the most women and like you said like women here are just marginalized in general because their value isn't as high in the family and so even just creating jobs specifically for women in that area it inherently gives them more value inside the family structure of saying, hey, look, like they're doing something amazing for your family and helping make sure you guys are good from year to year. Um, and then even in that process, we teach them the warning signs of trafficking. We teach them English. We work in an area where their first language is not Nepali. So we teach them some Nepali, some math skills. Mm -hmm. And some of these girls, there's not a lot of opportunity for education out there. So it's amazing just to watch. They'll come in and they can't hold a pair of scissors. They can't read. And we just watch that transform over the time we're there, just from the hours that they work with us. Oh, neat. That's yeah. really cool. And so how many languages, I mean, do you know how many different languages there are in Nepal? Yeah, I think it's over a hundred. And Nepali, yes, it is. There's so many people groups in Nepal. And if you can imagine, I think they say like 70% of Nepal is not accessible by road because we have the Himalayas, right. seven of the world's highest peaks. It's very hard to get places. And so in these different areas, they've been separated enough where they've developed all these different languages, even from Tibetan people groups that are here. Right. And then you just so many. So yeah, many languages, some similar, some very different. Oh my goodness. And yeah, it, I lived in China. So similar, yeah. lots of pockets, lots of different languages. And it's like, are you kidding me? Um, yeah. But, oh, well, that's, that's really cool. So share with us like one of your favorite success stories. Yeah. Um, I, I can think of two. And I'll just share quickly, but one of them was we had this, this girl join our, our staff and in the first month, so 
it's not uncommon here for them not to know when their birthdays are. And mm-hmm. so we love to celebrate and to celebrate one another. And so even if they don't have a birthday, we make one up for them. And so they decided they were going to make up a birthday for her. And just for random reasons, they decided it was going to be the same month she started working. And so we wanted to do something really special. And during lunchtime, we brought in a cake. And I remember watching her. It was her very first birthday that she'd actually celebrated. Mm -hmm. And watching her actually, like, again, just break down as we brought her the cake. And as all these women came around her and she was so happy, but so uncomfortable, again, just to have all these people's attention on her. And that was probably a little over a year ago. And now she's just so different. You know, she's with them every day and you see her, she's sitting with her friends and talking and she's more comfortable and just more, I think, secure in herself and in her value. And it's just been beautiful to watch that transition to where I think, you know, just the, she was overwhelmed by that cake to like, now there's just a joy and a thankfulness and it's not like uncomfortable, but it's just joy filled to be mm-hmm. able to receive from other people. So that's beautiful to watch. Nice. Um, I think another one that has just really hit me recently is that we um, had a, a young woman join us. She had so often in Nepal, they're taken out of Nepal and they're brought into India. And so we were connecting with a program that specifically was addressing Nepali um, uh, survivors or, of trafficking in these brothel areas and trying to specifically go after that group of people right. because they're in India, you know, they don't have citizenship. They don't know Hindi as well or other languages spoken and they're more vulnerable. It's harder to pull them out. Right. So they were going through this group and it was just, you know, you fight for people. I, Mm. I'm so thankful to be on the side that I'm on, but I just, the bravery of the people who stand in those red light districts and work face to face with the women in that position, they're just amazing. And so for like a, for months, I was hearing this conversation. We have someone, we think she wants to come back. We're trying to work through all the, the things that hold people captive we're trying to work through so that she can get out and she can come back to her home country. And so it was back and forth and back and forth and we're praying and we're hoping and we're believing. And um, finally she gets released. We get her back to Nepal. We get her settled in a transition home and just the joy in that. But that's not the end of the process because they need to know that you're actually trustworthy. Like so many people just mm-hmm. imagine what they've been through, the amount of trust that's been broken. And so there's this process of, of, Hey, we're really, we really mean what we say. And so she started to come and work at our office and she, she just transitioned in beautifully. Like what, again, you know, only, so she was, trafficked when she was under the age of 16 mm. and she was actually in the red light right there sorry red light district for about 20 years oh my so goodness this is not a small transition yeah this is huge and so she comes to her office and just watching someone gain the confidence to sew a headband to me is huge because mm-hmm. this is their first skill that they're learning And again, just watching like the, not sure if she fits into really chatting with the women and I'll go up and like talk to people on the sewing floor and just watching how well she interacts with everyone, how much she can sew now. She learned so fast and just the victory of knowing we've gotten past a year and it took us probably 
eight months just to get her back to Kathmandu. So just joy and that success and just watching her thrive and um, watching her, her grow. And it's really beautiful. It's an awesome mm. process to see happen. Wow. That is, that is lovely. <laughs> what an amazing transformation. Well, Olivia, thank you so much. I just, I'm so excited for what you guys are doing. And thank you for sharing your time and your thoughts and your heart for this, for this people group and just for sharing with us today and the impact that you guys are making. For those of you joining us online and on podcast, thanks for, thanks for being part of this impact conversation. If you enjoyed this episode and would like information about upcoming impact conversations, or you have a suggestion for a future guest, you can subscribe, join, and nominate by clicking below. Thank you for joining us and keep looking for ways to positively impact our world. Don't forget to subscribe and join us next week for another impact conversation.